time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. It is 5th Avenue Faceoff. I am Chris Mack. He is Eric Tangrady. Joins me a couple times every week. And those are the Pittsburgh Penguins who we talk about on a roll. I mean, relatively speaking for them, three in a row, the first three game or longer winning streak they've had since since before Christmas, since mid-December as they beat the Predators down in Nashville. The first of a three-game swing through the deep south, Nashville, then Tampa. And we'll talk to Eric Erlinson of lightninginsider.com later and then on to Florida to face the Panthers. First week of this big three-week stretch we talked about a couple days ago and the trade deadline, of course, as we speak right now, about 48 hours away. Uh, David Pagnotta of the fourth period will join me later to break down where exactly the Penguins are shopping and what they may have to give up to get what they want. But let's talk about the Predators game specifically, Tango. And how are you, first of all? Uh, it's another beautiful day in Western PA. It's starting to make it feel like playoff time when the weather gets this nice. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, something to in that feeling as a player it's like the groundhog right he comes out as a hockey player you know you go through those winter funk and then the sunshine and it gets a little bit warmer and you get those uh those playoff jitters a little bit early so it's awesome so let, let's talk about what i thought was a, a, a three or four pronged takeaway for me from the win in nashville and i'll start with what has been the constant this year for this team is the top six continues to produce um, and, I, and I'll work backwards and you give me your feedback on each one of the three goals scored last night. Let's start with Brian Rust's empty netter. Just a ridiculous individual effort and exactly what this guy does. You know, when they when they made their runs to the cup, he was more of a depth middle six guy. Um, but he's become a guy that they need to count on to come up big. And he's had his ups and downs this year. Uh, some people have banged on him because of the contract extension. But for me, he's still a guy that does exactly what you want from a middle six, which is grinds when he has to, uh, skates and shows off a little bit when he has to. And that that empty net goal was just perfect, a perfect example of what he can do when he when the individual effort is on display. Yes, absolutely. And what's intangible about Brian Roth is like uh, you use the word he's a gamer. Right. So sometimes on the score sheet, when he's playing his best hockey and, and, and as like and like so in years past, it was who's going to block a shot in the third period, who's going to make a wall play, take a hit in this situation, like games on the line, individual effort. It's not just a score sheet, empty netter. It's like that is Brian Rust, big time hockey uh, that we all know and, 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 and why there's so much value in him. Uh, I think the struggles, like we talked about the contract, maybe like his success in years past came from being a straightforward in your face north-south type of hockey player um right. whether coming into this year you know making top six dollar now does that change the way he, he, he his mindset is and the way he needs to play who knows but that to me is hope of that's the type of guy that's your your you know at this point he's not the dark horse anymore but you know the the, the brian rust playoff hockey type guys is what they need churning going down the stretch so if we continue our analysis goal by goal working backwards, which is kind of how I want to look at it, the one that was most impressive to me was probably the Zucker goal, the eventual game-winning goal. And there was there was even three prongs to this thing in, in that you had great effort from Ricard Raquel as the F1, the first forward into the zone. Really, 
pushing hard on the forecheck, not physically necessarily pushing hard on the forecheck, but just chasing the puck down, chasing the play down and forcing the Predators into a mistake. If Genny Malkin supports them first along the wall, then below the goal line, Jason Zucker reads the whole thing, sees three Preds at or below the goal line and two of his teammates there and kind of sits back in that soft spot at the bottom of the circle there. And the puck comes his way, and he does what Jason Zucker has done all year, which is just make an instinctive play. The kind of stuff that was tough for him, I think, when he was less than 100% the first couple of years with this team, he's done it all year, man. And he he just comes up huge again last night. Yeah, it's a big goal, and it kind of gave me the glimpses of uh, the game. uh, Was it a game six or game seven Stanley Cup goal? Was it Hornquist? Um, Yes, yes. yes. You know, like that late in the game. Um, But, no, I think that all Same end of the rink, too, I think. Yeah, that – that all stems to me from confidence. I mean, if we're looking at this team a week ago, I'm wondering if they're in like a passive one, two, two, and they're just like, let's get this point and let's go to overtime. But now that we're thinking, you know, now they're thinking big picture, they got some confidence under their belt. Like talk about the pursuit, the puck pursuit with a minute and whatever time left in the third period. Like a lot of teams who aren't the real deal, just concede that and let's make sure we have two guys high and let's go to overtime. Like that was super impressive. Again, we talk about the, playoff pedigree um being hard for 60 minutes of the game and and knowing if you can trust in that process that you're going to have a positive outcome so yeah to me that was like everything you want to see from that line right you you got Raquel doesn't need to be super finished checks and blow people up into the into the the glass but use your speed to create disruption you know Gino always finding ways to find pucks and in scrums and then Zucker you said the confidence you know, when you have that type of confidence, you have poise in the scoring areas. When you're when you're gripping your stick heavy, you know, maybe you're just too quick to get in and support the puck versus trusting that they're going to get you the puck in a, in a soft area. So overall, I mean, that was an awesome hockey goal. But to me, it was more impressive that the team actually believed we're going to play the right way for 60 minutes and not just concede to a, getting a point in overtime. And, and the one that got them started, the one that tied the game up at one apiece late, obviously Sid. It's Sid being Sid. And, and you know, we... You you mentioned it, uh, uh, I want to say a week or two ago, as long as Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are on this team and they're simply doing what they do, it's impossible to count this team out. And and that's the, the that's what loops back on this whole thing about the top six just continuing to produce. As long as they're doing that, yeah, we can talk about the struggles in other parts of the roster and they're very valid, but Sidney Crosby's still out there doing Sidney Crosby type things. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they every year it's almost like it, you not that you want to doubt him or the writers or the people want to doubt him, but like his age. I mean, is this guy ever going to age? Is he ever going to slow right. down? Like you hear so many times and, and knock on wood, but like some guys have these late lingering injuries that just can't have them play at a high level. Like 50 percent of Sidney Crosby is still the best player on the Penguins, but we're getting like big time, big game. Sid right now and, and even Gino coming off of a knee injury and, and Tanger like it's just super impressive to see and uh, as critical as you know you want to be on management a lot of times these conversations are like being critical on your big three but all they've done has been consistent and produced and that's been amazing well I mean you you see it even in the example of a guy we saw play a couple nights ago and a guy we'll see again on Thursday and that's you know Corey Perry he's a couple of years older than Sid but Corey Perry at one point was, you know, Hart Trophy candidate, you know, Con Smythe Trophy kind of guy. And now he's a fourth liner in Tampa. Sid is only a couple of years younger, and he just keeps rolling. And the most impressive part of that first goal, the, the, the Crosby goal, and it feeds into the next, the next prong of what I was impressed with against the Predators, 
was what Brock McGinn did. Um, Brock McGinn finds out during the in the midst of the dad's trip, right? They're in Nashville. It's supposed to be a fun trip down south. And Brock McGinn finds out he's been placed on waivers. Still in the lineup, though, because we only got so many bodies, Brock. So you're going to play. And he plays his ass off. He's blocking shots. He's dragging himself to the bench afterwards. And then he sets up the Crosby goal there. And, you know, it's indicative for me of, we can talk about the bottom six as a whole, but it's indicative for me that something may be clicking. Something may be fine. You know, when you're trying to turn the, the, the ignition over on a, on a cold morning on your car and something's happening with Carter McGinn and Heinen now, at least you hope anyway, because that's the kind of thing. I, I don't know if, if a lot of guys react that way, getting thrown on waivers and then a couple hours later playing the kind of game that Brock McGinn played. Yeah, it was super impressive. And I, I think it speaks highly of his character for somebody who's probably been scrutinized of um, look at the cards he was dealt and look at the way he was resilient and persevered through. And I think that he definitely gained a lot of the respect back Um uh, of the city, which he probably doesn't quite care about, but I think more importantly, his teammates. Uh, to me, it, it's it was so great to see that, and it's been great to see that the way that the bottom six has been acting or reacting to to to, to things. Right. But I think I think that's what makes the Kapanen move so good for this team. We talk all the time about you know they just need some sort of inner competition or something that put them make them aware that like. This the, the status quo is not going to be good enough moving forward. And I think, you know, just him moving on may have given that bottom six this feeling of, OK, maybe our job security is on the line. And now we're starting to see some of their best hockey. So we had talked about before, like, sure, we don't need to see these catastrophic monumental blockbuster trades, but just some sort of movement to get a spark in that bottom six of saying, like, Maybe we don't have the competition from within, but if you guys aren't going to perform, like, here you go. We just moved somebody out of town, regardless of where they were right. making and what they've done. So um, I think that that's really, really good for the team that kind of have that little spark. And obviously they're responding to it as well. And just before we started recording this, for full disclosure to those listening, it's about a eh, quarter after two Eastern on Wednesday afternoon. Just before we started uh, recording this, it was uh, announced that McGinn and Friedman, Mark Friedman, had cleared waivers. So we'll see what the future is for them. They can be sent now to Wilkes if if that's what the Penguins organization should decide to do. Uh, we'll see if that is the move that they make. It would save them just a little bit of cap space. Not as much had either of them, especially McGinn, been claimed uh, as Kapanen was. But again, it, it is indicative to me that something's clicking on those bottom two lines, Eric, in that the fourth line was strong again last night. You know, O'Connor... Bluger and Archibald were tops on the team in some possession metrics, shot share, Fenwick, Corsi, and the same could be said for the third line. They were best in actually expected goal differential, which is something we haven't seen from the third line all year, which is, again, indicative to me that maybe something's happening there. It doesn't tell me if I'm Ron Hextall that, uh, well, I shouldn't make a move now. What it actually tells me is if Ron Hextall is learning from mistakes is that maybe I should have made some of these moves a few weeks earlier so that I would have seen this reaction sooner to give me a better bead on what I actually have rather than getting this read on this team 48 hours ahead of the deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, if this team, it's crazy how close they are, but yet how far away they are. Like when we talk about the top six, I feel confident the top six can compete with anybody in the Eastern Conference. Then it comes down to the bottom six. You play the Penguins against the Rangers and you put Sid's line on the ice against that new 
powerhouse first line that the Rangers have. And mm-hmm. if you tell me they play even hockey, Sid's line scores zero goals and Zabinajad scores zero goals, that's a win for us in Pittsburgh, right? Then you go down the line. Malkin line plays against the Trocek, uh, Kreider line, zero goals. Then that's where things get shaky as far as what yeah. type of team are they for real? Um, because that's where this team needs to separate itself is in the bottom six. But it has been really good to see them step up and start to play some good hockey. And maybe that the game against Tampa gave, gave them some confidence, some belief back in the way that they need to play. And hopefully that sample size can carry over a little bit further. But yeah, I, I agree. Is it too late now that we're seeing this chasing, chasing and chasing standings? Well, I don't know. I think there's still some time. And I think those waiver wire moves are a plan to give them flexibility for something bigger if it's out there. The one thing that I don't want to say it, it flew under the radar because I've seen some people recognize it since the win over the Preds is that perhaps Tristan Jari starting to shake the rust off finally. Um, UC Soros had a really strong game as well until he didn't. Jari didn't have any of those mental lapses or mistakes that I thought he had in the first couple games back. He looked really solid. He looked like playoff Jari uh, when we've had the opportunity. Good playoff Jari. Uh, when we've had the opportunity to see that uh, against the Preds in that, you know, the Predators had a makeshift lineup put together anyway. So you got the feeling they were just trying to survive it and get through it. But when they did start to put, you know, when Jankowski scores that goal late, it it could be very easy for them to start to fold up the tents and say, oh my God. And Jari maybe makes, you know, looks at it and says, what did I do wrong there? But instead he stands tall, Jari outplaying Juicy Saros just a little bit tells me, okay, maybe we're moving in the right direction with him as well. Yeah, and for, for me, it's just about his poise. Like, it, mm-hmm. you can tell at times with Jari when it, and when he has the spurts, like he gets very quick and, and it almost looks like an anxious type of goaltending where to me, he just looked very relaxed. Nashville is an incredibly difficult environment to go into and play. Um, There's so many distractions. It's kind of like a miniature Vegas where the hockey game is actually secondary to what's happening in the stands and the crowd, the energy, the emotion. So regardless, I mean, it's still the National Hockey League, regardless of the roster that um, Nashville had, I think the St. Louis game was a great way to prepare them for this one in the sense of you just dominate, you dominate, you dominate, you're not getting results, stick to it, stick to it. Uh, and I think that's where Mike Sullivan as a coach and as a, as a leader has really showed in the last uh, few games of this winning streak of like, let's just trust the process and keep pushing through good things will happen. And when you're actually right, when you say those things, you don't, you wouldn't believe how much confidence it brings to a locker room. Cause as a coach, you know, I'm sitting on that, this side of it a little bit, like, right. please guys, keep trusting me, keep trusting me. It's going to happen. Good things, good things. And if it doesn't, it almost sucks the wind out twice as much. But then when it does, it can rally this group together to really start to believe again. Okay, so I'll, I'll just before I let you run, just just two minutes with Tango here. There's got to be, and you don't have to name names. You know that's my <laughs> role. You never have to name names if you don't want to. But there's got to be a good Nashville story in there somewhere. Like somebody sleeping in and missing the bus for morning skate. Or like, I, there's got to be some, someone somewhere had to do something crazy on Broadway at some point. Yeah, I, I've had a teammate. We had a we had a two o'clock game, and usually on a two o'clock game, you find out the night before who's playing and who's not playing. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I wasn't playing, and a, and a teammate of mine was not playing as well. So we felt like on a Saturday night, it would be good to just go just go listen to the music on a Saturday night. Yeah. Um, so we actually didn't get you know it wasn't too bad. We we got into bed at a pretty decent hour, um, and the next morning, a bunch of group chats are going around like, "Hey, is." 
you know, is he awake? Because he actually is playing. Someone was sick last night. Oh, no. So he was then inserted into the lineup in a 2 o'clock game. Didn't wake up till you know, I banged on his door and told him, like, you got to get it together. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Nashville's a really cool place. I mean, if you're a country fan, even if you're not, it's just a unique yeah. place. But I remember having to wake a teammate up who thought he wasn't playing the next day for a 2 o'clock game. Um <laughs> After having a a couple pops and then listening to yeah. live music, <laughs> how do you how do you play once he got out there? Unbelievable! It almost to of the course. point where um, <laughs> no expectations. It's almost like when you go into a round of golf and you tell yourself you stink and you play the best round of your life. It's you have zero expectations. You're going to keep it as simple as you've ever kept it. All that game, it was it was impressive. It was a very very impressive effort. Uh, to the point where I think he learned a little bit about his own sports psychology moving forward. <laughs> there we, maybe that's the key for the Pens if they get into the playoffs. Have a night out. Have a night out yeah. with the boys before before a, a game one or a big elimination game and just say, you know what? We're just going to roll the puck out and see what happens. Good stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I appreciate it, Eric. As always, uh, get out and enjoy the nice weather, and uh, we'll catch up again next time, okay? Yeah, looking forward to it. Talk soon. Lots of different things going into the way the Pens have won these last three games. The question is, can they keep them all rolling? Because all of them obviously are good signs. The top six continuing to stay healthy and produce, knock on wood. Uh, The bottom six turning things around in the right direction. And Tristan Jari starting to shake some of the rust off as well. We are less than 48 hours until the trade deadline as you're listening to this, right around 48 hours to the deadline as it's being recorded. So who better to talk to than one of the NHL's leading insiders from the fourthperiod.com, David Pagnotta, next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.